Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines of the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week on the show, we'll start with a brief update on the Amazon Synod document. We'll also take a look at why Archbishop Gainswine is no longer making public appearances with the Pope. Then we'll talk about the Legionaries of Christ and the challenging situation their new superior general is walking into. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Hey, Jerry. Good morning from New York. Good afternoon from Rome, Colleen. Very nice weather here. It is rainy and cold here again. Um, Let's get started with our show. So first up, we should give a little update. Uh, The Amazon Synod document that we've been talking about for a long time now comes out at noon Rome time on Wednesday, February 12th, which is just a few hours after this podcast episode comes out. So we won't be talking about that document on this episode, but we will have a short update on Wednesday that recaps the big points of that document. So that'll be in your podcast feed and you can hear that uh, as soon as we've got it ready. But Jerry, we should mention that the U.S. bishops have given us a hint of what to expect in this document. Can you talk about that? Yes, he met a group of uh, bishops from the West Coast yesterday and the Southwest, and uh, they asked him about the the document which is called Beloved Amazonia, Querida Amazonia. And uh, he, he said that some people will be disappointed because it doesn't address the question of the ordination of married men or women deacons. Right. These are the two big topics that that, um, a lot of outside viewers have had their eyes on, but for Francis, they weren't the biggest ones. Um, So we will have that update, short update tomorrow, uh, and then next week we'll go in more depth on the show about that document. So then let's get into our first uh, big story, which is that Archbishop Georg Gainswein, who is the Emeritus Pope Benedict's personal secretary and the prefect of Francis's papal household, has been absent from public events since January 15th, which was in the middle of when all these questions were being raised about whether Benedict had co-authored a book with Cardinal Sarah on priestly celibacy. And we talked about this on the show, how that book raised questions not only about how much a Pope Emeritus should be speaking publicly, but also about how much... uh, Uh, Gainswein was involved since he's the one who facilitates all of Benedict's meetings. Um, And Jerry, you know, this this absence of Gainswein from Francis's public events sparked rumors that he'd been suspended from his role as head of Francis's household because of the book ordeal. The Vatican said that wasn't quite true. They said it was just an ordinary redistribution of Gainswein's duties. I'm wondering what you make of this this back and forth. Well, perhaps it's an elegant way of explaining what happened. The reality is that he has not been seen at any public function in the Vatican since that date. Uh, This is very unusual because as head of the papal household, you sit by the Pope's side at the public audience. When he receives foreign heads of state or distinguished guests, for example, Vice President Pence, he would be there to receive them and lead lead them into the Pope's uh, apartment. Right, and he wasn't there for that meeting, right? He, he wasn't there. He hasn't been there for any of these meetings. We've had many heads of state come through from Argentina, from uh, various other countries. He has not been there for one of them. He has not been seen in public at a public function in the Vatican since then, and there have been many. Yeah, it, it seems hard to um, ignore the timing for this. And I don't know, I'm kind of wondering, like, okay, his duties have been reorganized, Um is that just Vatican speak for him being suspended or being fired? Like, is it one of these things where we won't know until they just suddenly name a successor at some point? 
Well, the understanding here is that uh, he has now to devote his full time to Benedict XVI, who's not in physically in good shape, but apparently mentally he's in good shape. In fact, if a visitor goes to see Benedict, Ganschwein has to almost always interpret for the visitor what the emeritus pope has said, because Benedict is now at a stage where he's not able to speak clearly. Even when he met the new cardinals, you remember when the Pope had this last consistory in October? Yeah, he always brings them to visit Pope Benedict, too. Several cardinals told me who were on the visit that they couldn't understand what he said. So it's it's not surprising. It's 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 normal. He's he will be ninety three in a few months, so it's not surprising. But many people, also in Germany, I was told by some people there, criticized Archbishop Ganschwein for not protecting him from being involved in the media in the way he has been in this last year. Uh, they feel that uh, at his age. He should be left in peace, in a way, and not be dragged into support one or other position. And that, of course, is also the view of many people in the Vatican. So, Jerry, um, Gainswine was working simultaneously for Francis and Benedict, both in pretty time-consuming positions. Um, and I, I don't know, that seems like a strange setup to me. I'm wondering, like, why was he working for both Francis and Benedict at the same time? Well, to understand that, you have to remember that a month before he resigned, Benedict made Ganschwein an archbishop and prefect of the papal household. That was in January. So when Francis was elected in March, he had this situation. Benedict's secretary, appointed by Benedict to be prefect of the papal household just two months earlier, so obviously he couldn't uh, easily remove him. Secondly, Francis has never wanted to upset Benedict or in any way be seen to disrespect his wishes or such like. And so he kept him. Many people in the Vatican at the time said, well, this will be short term, it won't be long term. But in fact, it's gone on for almost seven years. And uh, people now realize it, it really wasn't a very good solution. Right. This got a little bit more complicated uh, once, you know, Benedict started publishing documents. I think maybe Gainstein's role was probably, you know, viewed back then as as being in sort of a quiet role. But then it became a much more public one. Well, it's clear to everyone in, in the Vatican that uh, Ganschwein was the gatekeeper, was the one who was handling who comes and who goes to Benedict, was the one who... Uh, oversaw all the movements of paper from Benedict to anywhere else. And so uh, he, he was certainly at the heart of practically everything that happened in Benedict's household. And the older Benedict got, the more feeble he got, the more uh, Ganschwein became in charge. And so what has happened in these last years, it's very clear that Ganschwein knew everything about it. He obviously was sympathetic to what was happening, otherwise it wouldn't have happened. I, I know cardinals who told me that they wanted to see Benedict, but were told that, well, it's not the right moment. And then we discover later that somebody else was allowed to see Benedict. So uh, Ganschwein acted as gatekeeper. 
So is he still working for Benedict? What do we know about that? We know very little, but people say he is working with Benedict and he has been seen reciting the rosary in the gardens with Benedict. Benedict can't walk now, but uh, he's been seen in the gardens. How long this goes on for, presumably uh, for as long as Benedict is there. We don't have much information and we're not getting much more from the Vatican. And some people who have been close to Ganschwein are not talking either. So Archbishop Ganschwein has had a most unusual role that uh, I think in history there hasn't been anybody exercising the same role as secretary to a former pope and acting in an important role for the current pope. And this is an extraordinary role in history. People have talked about uh, two popes, and some people here quip and say, well, we really have three popes. <laughs> right. It's. I mean, it's an incredibly influential position. Um, if our readers want to learn uh, everything about what we know on this, they can find uh, our reporting, our full coverage at americamagazine.org. And as always, I will link to those stories in the show notes. For our second story, the Legionaries of Christ elected a new superior general last week. He's a 51-year-old American priest named John Connor. Uh, I want to get into who Father Connor is in a little bit, but Jerry, I think this gives us an opportunity to talk about, you know, what's been going on with the Legionaries lately and and kind of the situation that Father Connor is walking into right now. Um, So I think that we should start in maybe 2005 when Cardinal Ratzinger sent Archbishop Charles Shakluna, who was the Vatican's point man for abuse investigations, to investigate the order's founder, Marcial Maciel. Um, Can you give us a rundown of what happened? Well, just a little before 2005, Father Maciel, a Mexican priest who founded the Legionaries of Christ and who had really the full trust of John Paul II and those around him. Indeed, when he celebrated his 60th anniversary as a priest, I think more than 20 cardinals of the Roman Curia attended the celebration. And uh, John Paul II sent a message and then he met him. So it shows you that this was a man was a big hitter in the Roman Curia because he was seen as theologically orthodox, uh, running an order that had many young priests, had a, a lay branch with, called the Regnum Christi, which had many, many young people, ran many schools, and also brought in a lot of money to the church. Uh, so he, he really had a lot of influence. So for many years before 2005, there were denunciations were arriving at the Vatican from Mexico of people who said they had been abused by him or been abused in the order, etc. But because he had such clout in the Vatican, these denunciations were not treated seriously. After this celebration for his uh, 60th anniversary, Cardinal Ratzinger was the only cardinal in Rome who did not attend the celebration. And he also forbade any of the senior officials of the congregation from the doctrine of the faith from attending. Instead, he sent 
as John Paul II was on his deathbed, he sent Archbishop Shikluna, who was his right-hand man. Archbishop Shikluna arrived in New York and was actually interviewing the first victim of Massiel when he received news that John Paul II had died. Oh, wow. So he contacted Cardinal Ratzinger and said, what am I to do? The Pope has died now. Ratzinger said, you continue. So he continued his mission. He interviewed the other people that he had scheduled to meet and then returned to Rome. He got back to Rome on the eve of the conclave. He handed Cardinal Ratzinger his report, which was obviously pretty damning. And Cardinal Ratzinger had this before he went into the conclave. And this was the report that ended up basically taking down Maciel, right? Yeah. After the after the after his election, Benedict XVI took this file, and then they decided not to actually have a trial of Marcel because the evidence was so overwhelming. They took the administrative path, and the Pope sidelined him and said, you're removed from the ministry, you now spend the rest of your life in prayer and penance. And this came as a big shock. That was 2006. Maciel died in 2008. And after that, a lot of stories started coming out that he had relations with women, that he had fathered children, uh, that he had used the funds of the order in a very strange way that nobody seemed to know how. And so Benedict XVI decided that the Vatican would take charge. And he appointed an Italian cardinal to go in and take charge. So that investigation or that that takeover happened and it still left a lot of the questions about, you know, abuse cases and also the big financial questions here. They they supposedly had millions of dollars in offshore holdings and tax havens. Um, a lot of these remained unanswered. Why is that? Well, Cardinal uh, De Paulis, he, he, he went in uh, the end of 2009, beginning of 2010, and set about trying to reform the order, trying to renew the order. And so it was necessary to renew the constitutions, to renew the, the governing, those who were governing the order, etc. So he spent a lot of time, let's say, on the administrative structural questions. He did not really get, and, and many people have told me this, he did not really get to the question about where the money was, how it had been used. It was quite complex. Uh, secondly, some people were coming forward with new denunciations against Massiel, including one woman who's come out recently and who's on who's working with the Mexican television. Uh, she came out and she said that she had submitted a denunciation to the cardinal, but he he. he didn't believe it because he, he said no one else had come forward with the with this kind of thing. And so effectively, this was one of the cases, and I understand there were others, which were left not dealt with. Right. So that brings us to the current day, right, um, where a lot of these questions are unanswered. There are new, new complaints coming up, especially in Mexico. And then, you know, also there's this report that the legionaries put out themselves in which they, they're talking about old abuse cases. And they said that they gave official numbers, 33 priests in their order abused 175 minors, and then 60 of those minors were abused by Maciel. Um, and Jerry, you said that this report raised as many questions as it answered. Um, can you talk about that? People are well aware that 
the report they put out, they thought it was rather clinical. It didn't give enough information. And people back in Mexico said, this really is uh, it's not adequate. It, it's, it doesn't really deal with all the questions. Consequently, in Mexico, the bishops have come out about the Maciel case, but there's a lot of lack of confidence that the leadership has really, uh, up to now, reformed the organization, or indeed that they have come clean and put all the cards on the table. There's also the question about the finances, and there's questions, there are calls from Mexico mainly that the order should be shut down. They said it's uh, you have now less than a thousand priests in the altar order. Um, many priests left and some went into diocese, some just left. When you have something that's almost a thousand priests, you have to move carefully. Pope Francis is well aware of the situation and he is watching carefully and getting reports on what is happening. Right. The order is no longer officially under the you know, control of the Vatican like it was um, with this cardinal, but, but they're certainly being watched closely. So now they have this new leader, uh, Father John Connor, and he's a graduate of Loyola Chicago. He's the first non-Mexican to lead the order. Is it the general consensus from people you've talked to that, that he can carry you know, this reform across the finish line, no matter how far they have to go? Father Connor has one thing to his credit that he he was not a close associate of Maciel and everybody was of the opinion that the new leader had to be really free of Maciel had not to be working closely or anything with him otherwise there was the risk of uh, following the same path that had been uh, walked on before Right, but there are still questions about Father Connor. And- Immediately he, he was elected, uh, questions were raised over his handling, some would say mishandling, of a case of a priest uh, who had improper conduct, not with minors, but with adults, and, and specifically with some young women. Some say that he was too slow to act, that it uh, there are lots of complications on the case. The order has defended him and said he, he did act and this priest has been removed from ministry. But uh, it's not the best uh, way to start your new job, especially in an order that is already under a cloud of deep suspicion. So we have to wait and see. Jerry, you wrote a story about the election of Father Connor. I'll link to that in the show notes, along with uh, some of our other materials on what's been going on with the Legionaries lately, since there's a lot to catch up on. All right, Jerry, uh, before we go, let's talk about real quick some of the stories that are uh, coming up on the horizon. One of them is that the McCarrick report uh, may be coming soon. So we've heard from Cardinal Perelin, the Secretary of State, that work on the McCarrick report is done. But he says that Francis will have the last word. Um, And I was wondering what that means. You know, does that mean that the Pope is going to decide on if or when it will be published? Well, the report will be published. Uh, That's Miss Clear in the Vatican. I understand it's quite long, uh, so there was discussion whether they published the whole thing or a synthesis of it. Uh, the Pope will take the final decision. My understanding is the Pope wants the thing out in public because it's a question of credibility. People have to know that the Vatican is putting 
what it knows on the table so that there are no uh, kind of blowback from somebody is saying, no, you haven't said this and you haven't said that. In terms of timing, my understanding was it would not come until the American bishops had finished their ad limina visits. And I think they go on until mid-March. Mid so perhaps be sometime between mid-March March and Easter is a possibility, but we don't have dates. So I wouldn't like to be a prophet in, in this, but uh, <laughs> not before mid-March for certain. All right. So the last word thing that, that we heard about Francis means about publication it's it's not about anything that may happen to mccarrick because he's already been you know he's he's resigned from the college of cardinals he's been uh laicized so there's not there's not anything else that they would do yes this will be an, an explanation to people what how exactly he came through all the ranks of the hierarchy to be appointed a cardinal to be appointed archbishop of washington and uh, notwithstanding these various allegations against him. And the question is when they came in, how they were handled, who handled them, what evidence there was, what uh, what arguments against taking the evidence seriously. Th these are the kind of questions that will be answered in the report, in my understanding. Right, the who knew what when. Um, we have uh, an article with exactly that headline uh, at America right now, so I will link to that in the show notes. Uh, the other news is about an upcoming papal trip. Do you want to tell us about that? Yes, uh, the Vatican has confirmed what had broken in the newspapers, that Pope Francis will go to Malta, the island of Malta, on Pentecost Sunday, the 31st of May. All right, Jerry. Well, we will look forward to hearing all about the Pope's uh, upcoming trip to Malta, as well as any of his other uh, papal trips that he ends up taking this year uh, here on Inside the Vatican. So thanks so much for all the you know context and, and the background you were able to give this week. Um, I really appreciate it. I think it helps us understand the headlines more when we can see you know, the stories behind them. Thank you, Colleen. And uh, good afternoon, good, good morning, whatever to all our listeners. <laughs> Look forward to chatting next week. Yes, we'll be chatting soon about the Amazon Synod document. And again, our listeners can find an update on that in their podcast feeds tomorrow. Uh, and they can find all of our coverage, including videos and articles at americamagazine.org. All right, Jerry, I'll talk to you later. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Inside the Vatican is produced by America Media at our William J. Loeshirt studio in New York City. This week's episode was produced by Tucker Redding. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. Our audio engineer is Isabel Senechelle. Our studio manager is J.R. Kronheim. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org or follow us on Twitter at americamag. For American Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you with a quick update tomorrow and a full show next week. <laughs>